Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, uh, get a copy of God's Word in front of you to Matthew chapter 5. If you're newer to navigating the Bible, the book of Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament, and so join me there if you would. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, my family and I, we were flying back from a vacation. We had a short flight into Orlando, short layover in Orlando, and then um, we had the longer of the two flights from Orlando back to Indy here. And um, I was sitting on one side of the aisle with our older two boys, and my wife was sitting across the aisle with our two-year-old twins, and um, I, I had looked over shortly after we took off, and both of my twins had laid their head on my wife's lap, and they were both asleep, and I said, all is right in the world, and I said, Lord, keep it that way. Uh, a few minutes later, my daughter started wrestling a bit there, and then she woke up, and she woke up with a vengeance, and she filled the plane for the next 25 minutes with screaming and kicking. You know when you run into those families and you're like, man, they really need to get their kids under control? We were that family. And so um, I'm sitting across the aisle and I'm just like, I'm sweating. I'm like, Erica, what can I help? And, 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 and then I, you start to notice the people around you, right? So the guy behind Erica's like peeking over the seat, like what is going on up here? The lady next to him had uh, put her tray down, elbows resting on it, hands over her ears. And then the, uh, my favorite though is the, the older lady in front who gives the three-quarter head turn with the eyebrow raise. Like that's gonna help? Like, just, she just keeps doing this. I'm like, lady, that's not going to help. And so I'm, I'm, st I'm sitting there and I'm like watching my wife. I'm just trying to make sure. And she's just like oh, the peace of the Holy Spirit, eyes closed, just holding, rocking my little girl's legs are going crazy. And I'm on the other side of the aisle and I'm like, someone say something. I dare you. Someone say something right now. I dare you. If one annoyed word comes out of one annoyed passenger, we're, we're, we're going right here in the middle of the plane. <laughs> now, the problem was two mornings before this, I was at a peaceful Florida Starbucks studying this beatitude. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And so uh, Ma, uh, uh, Erica worked her mom magic. Everything got calmed down. You didn't have to read the Indy Star story, uh, your pastor getting kicked off a Southwest flight. <laughs> but as, after everything calmed down a bit, I was just left there in my seat thinking like, Lord, just two mornings ago, I'm literally reading about like as, as your kingdom people, Jesus, the character you're seeking to craft in my heart is, is the character of a peacemaker. And yet, Lord, like I know I was one word away from an annoyed passenger of just being anything but a peacemaker. And, 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 and that reminded me something, not only for this beatitude, but for the beatitudes as a whole. Remember we've said for these beatitudes as a whole, this is a character Christ must shape in us. We don't have the power to muster it up. We don't have the power to manufacture it. Just when we think we got one of these beatitudes under control, we're, we're, we're on a Southwest flight and our heart rises up against us. Christ must craft this character in us. The beatitudes are the character that Christ is shaping in his kingdom citizens. And the second reminder that I was faced with that day is this. Uh, I am still very much a kingdom work in progress. Anyone with me on that? Where we just like come face to face with this reality, like Jesus, you are crafting a character in me that is so unlike who I used to be, but Lord, I'm not there yet. 
And I long for the day when I'm in your presence and you make me whole and complete. And it it took me coming face to face with this beatitude and then uh, uh, somewhere over northern Georgia in the air to realize, Lord Jesus, you have to do this in me. And so I want to look today at this as at the seventh of our eight Beatitudes. And I just want to take it in its two parts where it's separated by the comma there. I want to have this conversation just talking about peacemakers. Uh, what is a peacemaker? How does God form us into peacemakers? And then uh, the second part of our conversation, we'll focus on that promise. What does it mean uh, that we shall be called sons of God? And so let me pray for us and we'll hop in. Father, um, Lord, we now come and we submit ourselves to your word. Um, Lord, we ask you to speak. We're thankful that your word is living and active. Uh, God, we are not the authority over it. It is the authority over us. It doesn't matter what we think. It matters what you've said. God, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you right now in that way when your word comes alive in our heart. Change us, God. In the power of Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Uh, let's start, just what is peace? Um, peace, uh, real simply, it, it's to be in harmony with. That we, as God's people, part of his kingdom, were to be people that bring harmony to the communities in which we interact, our church community, our work community, our friends, our family. We should be people who bring harmony. Now, we're going to talk about what that means and what that doesn't mean, but we should be a, a harmonious one, not a divisive one, not a ticking time bomb that walks into places and just... We should be a harmonious one. Now, how does God make us that? Because remember, these Beatitudes aren't what we're making ourselves. God has to make us this. How does God make us this? The, the first thing I would say about God making us a peacemaker is, remember, one of the biggest takeaways that I hope we walk away from from this Beatitude series is that the Beatitudes are not... You can't understand them in isolation. So uh, last week we taught, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We can't leave that one behind now in seeking to talk about what it means to be a peacemaker. And in fact, when you go back, we have to understand that those who hunger and thirst are those who will become merciful, and merciful ones are those who pursue purity of heart, and those who are pursuing purity of heart long to see peacemaking as one of the characteristics of their life. And so the life of a peacemaker flows out of a pursuit of purity of heart before the Lord. Now, another thing I'll say about us living as peacemakers is this. We first must have peace with God before we'll ever have peace with others. There is no true peace with others until there is true peace with God. Let me say that again. And I want you to talk about that at lunch. Bat that one around at lunch. Be like, do I agree with that? that there is no true peace with others until there is true peace with God. We'll never be peacemakers until the peace of God is reigning in our heart. Now, 
is that even possible to have the peace of God reigning in our heart? Uh, let's kind of follow a path through the scriptures here to see if that's possible. Uh, the first place I want to start is this, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 says this, For in him all the fullness of God, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so this violent, bloody uh, instrument of torturous crucifixion was a means in which the peace of God would be made. And so we know that the peace comes by the blood of Christ's cross. How does that happen? Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified or declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the only way we're declared righteous in God's sight is through faith in Jesus Christ. When we have faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. There's no more a dividing line between us and our creator. There is peace with God. In the moment we've believed in Jesus and we have this peace with God, look at what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Jesus has left us his peace. He has given us his peace. And it's with that peace reigning in our heart that we can now have the power to live as peacemakers on this earth. And let me tell you why this is so important for us to understand as Christians. Every single one of these Beatitudes is radically countercultural, but I, I hope that we feel how countercultural this Beatitude right here is of living as peacemakers. In a day and an age where when two sides disagree or when two sides get angry at each other, they just cancel each other. They're done, they're kicked out, and, I, and you're like, oh, are you going to go on a diatribe of cancel culture right now? No, Okay. But we know that's how it works, or worse yet, where visceral, just ugliness is spewed back and forth over social media platforms. Where is the reconciliation? Where is the mediation? God's people are to be peacemakers in a culture that knows nothing of peace. And, and the problem is that our culture is always after peace, world peace, this peace, peace, peace. You can't find peace apart from the peace that Jesus Christ must give. We have to get to the heart of it. All right, let, I will go. You ready? Let's go. No, I'm kidding. I can't. I can't. But we have to get to the heart of where this peace comes from. And it's so countercultural. And here's why it's so countercultural. A guy named Ken Sandy uh, wrote the book on this called The Peacemaker. A great resource, I'd commend it to you. Um, but in it, he unpacks three types of people and how they interact with peace. The, the first type of person is this, the peace breaker. The peace breaker actively assaults and disrupts peace. Actively. We all know who they are, right? Like, uh-oh, here they come. Hide. That this person doesn't care about peace they care about getting their own way, and they'll run over anyone in the process to get it. And I would just say to you, if that is you, stop it. 
It's selfish. And it's not loving. And if when you walk through the door, when you walk down the hallway, if people hide in your wake, you're wrong. Now, I'll also say if that is like, that might be me, we want to offer you more help than stop it from the pulpit. We'll walk with you in that. We'll walk through that together. But if, if there's anything that we should not be, as one who is part of the kingdom of God, it is a peace breaker. But there's, an, there's another dangerous, subtly, subtly dangerous, destructive way we can interact with peace, and it's this. It's the peace faker. Yeah, this one's a little more convicting. It's those of us who just live in denial and don't deal with it. Don't deal with the issue. Don't deal with the conflict. It's those of us who feel like everything's going great. We're good, we're good, we're good. Because you're not willing to lift the rug and go, what's really under there that we might have to deal with? Uh, often, right, and you'll hear this statement thrown out in terms of difficult relationships, whether that's between spouses or working relationship, you'll hear someone say, I don't, I'm not trying to deal with that. I just want to keep the peace. To which I always say, no, you're just contributing to the chaos. Because if our definition of keeping the peace is to not deal with issues directly, we're just kicking that can down the road until that can's going to explode in very unpeaceful ways. Y'all with me? Is this one convicting for anyone else? This is, this is me. I, I relate to this one. When Erica and I have the heart to heart, you know, rate our marriage, I'm like, nine and a half, crushing it. She's like, ah, probably some things we got to work. Well, I don't like to go there. And yet when I'm not willing to go there, all I'm doing is kicking that can down the road until it becomes some pretty unpeaceful stuff. Peace fakers. Now, what we're going for is to, be, to live as peacemakers. Peacemakers pursue. They move toward conflict. We're going to talk about more of that. They want to reconcile, truly reconcile. Not just a quick like, hey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, can we just never? No, let's get it. Let's get to the heart of it. Let's unpack it. It's going to be hard and it's going to be painful, but it's going to lead to harmony. And they mediate. True peacemakers are willing to mediate. True peacemakers are really willing to get two brothers and sisters who are at odds with each other together and go, guys, hey, uh, lock the door. Here we go. We're going to hash this thing out until we're to a place of, of reconciliation with each other. But what God is after as a characteristic of his kingdom people, is that we would live as peacemakers. 
And now, before I move past the comma and get to the promise attached to this, I, I just want to ask a couple questions. And remember we said, these Beatitudes aren't a list of commands. And, and many of these sermons are not like, now go do X, Y, and Z. But I do want to ask a couple questions in light of us understanding that Jesus is seeking to make us peacemakers. The first question I would ask is, do you have peace with God? When you hear Jesus say, uh, my peace... I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do you have that peace? Have you been justified or declared righteous by faith in him? And if not, uh, today is the day you need to realize that your sin has separated you from a holy God. And that the penalty of your sin, according to God, not according to me, according to what God says, is death. Like, apart from Christ, you will die in your sin and you'll be separated from God in eternity in hell. And yet God has loved you so much that he has not left you to wander and try to figure out how to reconcile this. He sent you his only son who went to the cross, went to that torturous place of crucifixion, who shed his blood, and it was by the shedding of his blood that you can be made right with God the moment you believe in him. And what God calls of you is that today would be the day you believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I would plead with you today that there'd be a moment in this service where you tell the Lord, today I believe, Lord, I receive the gift that you've given me and your son and that you would be right with God and you would have peace with God. And then as ones who have peace with God, let me just ask this. Uh, where is God calling you to live as a peacemaker? Where does he want to see this character become true and how you leave here and apply it? One of the greatest, um, one of the most important things that's on the heart of God, especially for his family, is that we would live in unity with one another. Where are you not living in unity with a fellow brother or sister? And where might you need to do the work of a peacemaker and pick up a phone or ask for a meeting to move towards the tension and towards the conflict and seeking to make peace? And now I know depending on how you're wired, like all kinds of anxiety could be rising up in you right now. I don't want to have this. Let me encourage you with a couple of things that God's word says. In Romans 12, it says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Some of you, as you hear me talk about, do the work of a peacemaker this week, live, as, live true to the character in which Christ is seeking to form in you. You're like, I know how this conversation's gonna go. I know they won't hear it. I know they won't heed it. I know they'll just blow up. I don't know. Listen, God has not asked you to control their response. God has asked you, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We can't control the response of another. All we can do is obey the Lord in moving towards the things we need to move towards for the seeking of peace. And if you want a great promise attached to this, it's James 3. James 3.18 says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Who doesn't want that verse? Who's sitting here today like, oh, harvest of righteousness? Mm, I don't know. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make 
peace. So where do you need to live true to the character of a peacemaker that Christ is forming in you? Now, as we move to the other side of the comma in this verse, there's an intriguing promise attached to this beatitude. It is unlike all of the other beatitudes. In fact, I I want you to feel the difference of it, so I just want to read all the beatitudes, and you're going to sense the difference in the promise we have in verse 9. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be what? They shall be called sons of God. Every other beatitude, remember we've said a beatitude is a statement of blessing accompanied with a promise. Why is this person blessed? Because of this promise. Every other one is telling us, here's what you're getting. Here's what you're receiving. The, 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 the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. The meek, they're going to inherit the earth. You get to peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who from a heart at peace with Jesus Christ, who, who, who having his peace reign in them, seeks to live this out in relationship with others. They're going to be called something. This is an identity definer. This tells us who our father is, and it shows the rest of the world that he is, in fact, our father. When we live as peacemakers, we are rightly imaging our father, who is the perfect peacemaker. They will be called sons of God. Peacemakers are known as children of the Father because they're looking like the Father in this instance. How many of us love, right, if if you have kids, when someone looks at a son or someone looks at a daughter and says, "I, I can totally tell they're yours. How many of us love the progressive commercials Dr. Rick, don't become like your parents, right? The therapy, I know. Love those. In this instance, we are seeking to become like our Father. And now, how does God do this? When we do the hard and harmonious work of peacemaking, we're becoming like our Father. How does, how is this so? How are we imaging? How are we modeling? How are we following him and how we do this? Uh, Colin Smith, he did the study on the Beatitudes I've mentioned before called Momentum. He highlights a couple of these for us. The first thing Colin Smith would say on this point is this. Peacemakers are like God in that they move toward trouble. I've mentioned this a bit earlier. Peacemakers are like God in that they move toward trouble. And our natural instinct is to move away from trouble. 
to move away from hard relationships, to move away from difficulty. But peacemakers are like God in that they move toward trouble. He also goes on to say this, peacemakers are like God and that they love even when it's not returned. It is not natural for us to want to love someone who doesn't love us in return. It's not natural for us to love people who hate us or don't love us back. And in fact, the only way that this can become possible, that we would love even when that love is not reciprocated, is through having the love of Christ dwelling in our heart. How many of us have experienced this in our walk with Jesus? Whereas we've grown in our walk with him, there's been people who you flat out didn't like. You couldn't stand. And yet the longer you were walking with Christ, you're like, something weird is happening. I still don't really like them, but I love them. What's going on? Christ is at work to fill your heart with love, even if that love is not reciprocated. Now think about this. Peacemakers are like God in that they move toward trouble. Peacemakers are like God in that they love even when it's not returned. Who is the ultimate in moving toward trouble and loving even when it's not returned? The Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who left the splendor of heaven, incarnated, walked on this broken earth on a path to the cross, moving toward our trouble not a trouble of his own making, moving toward the mopping up of our troubles. And who was so full of compassion and love in the process of it, even when that love wasn't reciprocated so much so that he could hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is the love of Christ who has come to make peace with God, to fill our hearts with such a peace that that then flows out and how we live as peacemakers with other peoples at peace with God, make peace with others. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I find it fitting today that this is a communion Sunday for us because there's no better way to end today then by getting our eyes on the cross, as that Colossians 1 passage says, that we, are, we have peace with God because of the blood of his cross. And as we get our eyes on the cross today, um, why do we do this? What's this all about? Between services, it was so refreshing. Our, my kids came in and my six-year-old looked at this funky little cup, and he's like, what is that? And to have to talk about communion, teach communion to a six-year-old of like, why do we do this? What a great reminder. Because for some of you here, this is the 974th time you've taken communion in your life. And if we're not careful... It can just be part of like the religious machinery in which we operate. They can become ritualistic. 
And yet when you see what the apostle Paul writes about this to the Corinthians, he's like, hey, hold on. We got to talk. This is a big deal. He says, examine yourself. He says, don't take this in an unworthy way. The body of our Savior was torn to shreds. His blood poured out. Like as we're examining our heart, like we're getting our eyes on the gore of it all. On the horror of it all. On the way of what my sin cost him. And yet for like, Centuries upon centuries, the Roman crucifixion and the body being broken and the blood being torn out, was that's all it was. It was just the gore and the horror of it all and the hopelessness of it all. But then, then, then the Bible flips all of that on its head and he's like, by the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. And it's like it's his blood is, is flowing down that cross. His victory is rising up in such a way that he would die and then he would be buried and then the tomb couldn't hold him. Amen. And we now sit here and like this beautiful air-conditioned room, how many a thousand years later with his peace reigning in our heart where he's instituted this to go like, don't ever forget my body and blood on Golgotha for you thousands of years ago. So let's never forget it. Go right now, quiet before him, search your heart, examine it, and I'll lead us through the taking of this in a moment.